The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary, the podcast about tending the soul of women, sisterhood, and the rise of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Arlia Hoffman. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Arlia. Um, and I have another guest today. Always makes me excited when someone joins me at the microphone. Um, and um, this guest and I have some particular overlaps, and I <clears throat> so I'm excited to hear her kind of share her path and her perspective and um, get, get deep into a couple of topics that, that um, are interesting to me, and hopefully they will be for you. Oh, one more note. Um, this is the Women's Sanctuary, as you know, but I really like to preface it by saying this is a uh, this is a place where women come together to sink into kind of their shared experience, their stories, um, because we are, are all our stories and they matter. Um, and I've designed this place to be a place of sisterhood and um, learning and inspiration. So that's who we are, and that's this is where we are right now. And um, coming into the temple space today is Robin Hubbard. Robin and I met um, in the world of spiritual companioning, and she's going to help us unpack what that is through Spiritual Directors International. And I was at their conference and heard her speak, and I was like, ah, instant recognition. I'd like to work with her. So we're gonna we're gonna talk in depth with her today. She's a spiritual companion, grief counselor, certified dream work facilitator, body work, and a well-resourced guide into the depths of self, where we access our jewels of transformation and soul growth. Her work involves spiritual companioning that includes deep listening, dialogue, somatic awareness, embodied movement practices, and the exploration of dream material that is symbolically represented through our sleeping and waking dreamscapes. Her broad background of body-mind healing and movement-centered work includes biosomatics, inspiration from five rhythm stance, soma source, and authentic movement, along with her longtime passion as a dancer and soul-centered mover. A broad array of dream perspectives, Jungian and depth psychology, indigenous and interspiritual wisdom also deeply inform Robin's work. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary. Hi, Arlia. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here in this place of sisterhood and sanctuary. I'm thrilled to have you. When you when I got acquainted with your work, you were presenting um, what you call the four paths of soulful living and grieving, mm -hmm. which I just found so moving. It was um, really helpful for my path and my process. Um, let's start there. Just speak a little bit about what that is and, and how that came to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so the four paths of soulful living and grieving for me was born out of my kind of roots and connection with, um, creation spirituality. I have a, um, doctor of ministry degree in creation spirituality through, the lineage of Matthew Fox um, and his school that um, is no longer in existence. But um, so 
just briefly, he's Matthew Fox has named, you know, the four paths of creation spirituality, which, um, you know, is born out of a ancient ancestral indigenous religious, you know, like spiritual um, traditions in even the cosmos um, is, is what is, is sort of the essence of creation spirituality. And so my four paths of soulful living and grieving, I found that through my work um, as a grief counselor, as a dream worker, as a somatic and movement-based um, therapist, I um, I wanted to, th- those, the four paths of creation spirituality are, you know, named in um, kind of Latin and more spiritual and religious based terms, you know, not religious, but spiritual. And I really wanted to name them to make them more secular, make them more meaningful for everyday life, for my own personal experience and for how I could share them with others, how it could be a meaningful map for our everyday life experience and our life's journey unfolding. And so I named um, it, you know, out of that inspiration, I named these four paths resource, which is the strengths, you know, things that we draw on that strengthen us, that connect us with a sense of awe and wonder and bolster us and the things that fill us up. And uh, release is the authentic, these are the paths. Mm -hmm. Resource, release is the authentic expression of emotion is like really naming this place in this, in this, um, what I have found important to reclaim grief as part of a soulfully lived life. Mm. So this path of release is the opportunity to create a space to authentically express our emotions and kind of more specifically, the more difficult ones that, you know, the ones that feel good or easier to, to express and share, but the more difficult ones have culturally been, you know, more repressed and suppressed and and all of that. So this path offers that space to name those emotions. And once we name and allow the movement Mm -hmm. and flow of those emotions to move through us through this path of release, it leads us into the path of renewal because that creates spaciousness. It creates um, awareness, like connection with uh, new inspiration, creative ideas, new sense of, you know, discovering new meaning, um, you know, just a renewed sense of whatever's coming forward, um, you know, because we've, we've moved some of this, we've created the space for, for recognizing what's available underneath Mm -hmm. the emotions that we hold. So that's the path of renewal. And then, and then that leads into the path of return, because once we recognize things that are that are helpful and renewing and um, bring meaning to ourselves, those things that we integrate and that really make meaning in our lives, then through the path of return are things that become in service, not only to ourselves, but to, to others, you know, to, to our communities, to our family members, to the collective, whether, you know, in small and or large ways, that's the path of return. How are we giving back in service? And so, these paths are spiraling. They're not linear in any way, shape, or form. It's just one way to recognize where we might be in a certain moment and what we might need to keep the energy moving, to keep 
it, it's like I use the tree as a um, the evolutionary life cycle of the tree as a symbolic image. I mean, it's a well-used image, but it, because it's really useful to see how a tree continues to go through its seasons and 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 blossom and then leaves fall and go back to the earth and compost the ground. You know, it's just like again and again and again, this is our soulful growth and evolution. Just, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, it's beautiful. When I, I was so struck by it, when I first saw it, um, mm-hmm. first there's this beautiful watercolor of a tree that you did. Did you do the, the image of it? I didn't do it. It, okay. it evolved out of a few people, actually, actually graphic okay. designer friends who helped create it. Well, it's beautiful. <laughs> and, <laughs> and because you've simplified it, it makes it so accessible mm-hmm. to, to identify where you might be at a given time in the process or pieces of your life that might be in pieces of the, of the, of the cycle. Um, It reminds me of, you know, the indigenous work based in the, in the natural world and, and those natural cycles uh, was so helpful for me at the time. And and it continues to be just as a reminder of, of what our natural cycles are and, and we're t- we're typically so divorced from from those in our world and in our lives that any reminder of it is invaluable. Yes, thank you. You you touched on on it as a, a four paths of soul, soulful living and grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, why grieving? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's th- that grieving is a particular piece of your work. How did, yeah. what is that? And how, how did that come to be? And, you know, how did you come to be doing this type of work? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. There's a lot to that, to that question and to the answers that I can share. Um, I mean, again, just to reiterate this whole idea of um, soulful living and grieving for me, you know, it's, I, I guess it's just been part of my life journey and what I came into the world to, to share it's it's just what has evolved through my experience over time of reclaiming grief as part of a fully lived life with you know our hearts open our our you know minds aware our bodies engaged and our souls ignited and so i i just have found this um void of you know, the, the place for grief and grieving in our culture. And I have, which leads me into, I've had, you know, experienced a lot of, diff, a lot of grief throughout my life, as many of us have. Um, and I, a lot of, you know, big challenges that started early on in life. And um, one of the, one of the biggest ones um, that really, I feel like defines and continues to guide the course of my life is my mom getting cancer, brain cancer when I was 13 at a very, you know, important time in my life. And my mom was my world and I had two older sisters and I saw my mom, you know, to use that word companion them through adolescence. And, um, and here I was kind of alone because she was very consumed with her treatment and, and the effects of the brain tumor and all of that. She lived, she actually lived an incredible, she had an incredible, what maybe some would call a spontaneous healing that lasted for seven and a half years, though there were deficits that she experienced. And then she got another brain tumor um, when I was 20 and 
when by the time they found it, it was 30 days until you know she died mm-hmm. later. And you know, one of the stories I share a lot is and how this reclaiming grief um as part of a fully lived life. Uh, has come to me is that when she was dying and we didn't know the doctors told us she had six to nine months to live at that point. We didn't know she would die in 30 days. And we were trying to keep her at home. And there was this, she was in this blissful state. It was really incredible. The brain tumor had affected her brain in a way that she was living in this blissful state. She knew who we were, but she hadn't really talked a sensical sentence Mm. in these 30 days it it just scrambled her brain in a way where everything was just wonderful but she was like you know putting ketchup on her ice cream and ice cream on her steak and eating you know eating these weird things and saying these weird things that but it was just so wonderful in her experience and so there was this message and I was 20 at the time um, that, you know, to not cry in front of her. So she didn't catch on that she was dying. Mm-hmm. You know, so because she was in this bliss, blissful state. So um, we kind of made this agreement to not cry in front of her. And it, it was really hard. Mm-hmm. And so um, at one, one day she was back in her bedroom and I went back in her bedroom and I was um, just stroking her arm. I sat on the edge of her bed and I just was stroking her arm. And that wasn't really typical in my family. We weren't very physical, you know, but it was just some reason I just started stroking her arm and it just felt good, you know, right. And felt really good to me. And she goes, Ooh, that feels so good. And, and she, and so as soon as she said that, of course, tears start streaming down my face and she looks at me and as clear Isabel or clear as day, however that saying goes, she looks me right in the eyes and goes, it's okay to cry. Mm. It was the most clear message she had given in, you know, because she died a few days later, mm. you know, it'd been almost 30 days. And it was this moment of, oh my God, <laughs> you know, and she went on to share, you know, like basically in, in little broken sentences now, but still clear that she knew she was dying. Mm. And it was us who was, were fooling ourselves, you know, and it was, it was just a really profound moment that 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 was her last sort of mothering moment with me that mm-hmm. she, she really ingrained in me one that it's okay to cry and two that, you know, we know so much more than we think we do, or we think each other do. And so by pretending something isn't really doesn't really make sense. And it didn't resonate with me from the beginning. And she affirmed that for me. Mm. And so that is, I is the thread that I carry forward from her life that really has informed me about just being real with people Mm. and really allowing grief to be a real part of our experience. And in my experience, again, I've been through numerous medical issues um, that have really required me to face my own mortality over for whatever reason over my adult life. It's just been my journey um, among other, you know, losses and things that, um, you know, that, that this is just how I've grown. And by, by really kind of doing the descent journeys that these experiences have taken me on, I found that I somehow whether I learned it or it's it's come naturally to me, I don't really know that I found that I was able to find a ground in the bottom of the Mm -hmm. descent. (laughs) 
And I was able to just lie there and, and be with it and let that experience do its whatever alchemical work. Not that I would even be able to say that in the moment of those right. experiences I was having, but I noticed over the course of my life that this is a place that at least is familiar to me, not comfortable at all, yeah. but familiar. And so again, over time, I found that I'm able to hold this space and be with and companion mm-hmm. others in, in this type of experience and, and, and either um, hold that knowing that the ground is there because a lot of people are afraid to really fall. And, and cause they think like um, they'll just, there'll be no bottom yeah. um, or just, just, just be there with mm-hmm. them. So that's been, I think that answers the question that you originally asked. Yeah, that, that's so beautiful. Um, the idea of a ground is a theme for you. I, I noticed on your blog post from a couple of years ago, you talked about the ground and finding the ground and, and grounding yourself and um, finding that as a, I guess, a touch point to kind of know you've, you've reached bottom, right? Yeah. yeah. And you're still okay. You're still here. Yeah. And it's somewhere to rest. It's mm. somewhere to rest in the middle of it all. Because we, I think culturally, again, we're like, you know, we don't have a role model with a lot of good role modeling to just rest there and, and, and let our lives kind of lead us or unfold or let the alchemical transformations kind of happen. It's this, you know, kind of need to, to be up, 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 you know, and, and, and just, pull up our bootstraps and get on with it and, you know, not yeah. really go there. But that for me, the rest is really important. It is. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about another version of always being up and going is mining, mining these experiences for the gold yeah, rather than just allowing them to come to us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's both. And, you know, for sure, my whole life has been mining for gold. (laughs) You know, again, I kind of, I think I feel like I was doing that as an infant. I don't know. I I just have this deep longing to mine for the gold Mm. of this life of my life and of my soul's journey. And, um, and also, also just allowing that, that I'm not so in charge, you know, to remember that I don't have that much control to, you know, to dig and, and and find every morsel, you know, or maybe I don't have the energy or something to, to do that um, solely, that to the allowing also, and the resting in and just allowing the, the, just the, the natural evolutionary life cycle to occur. So it's, for me, it's both and. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just reminded of um, Psyche's tasks. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Aphrodite gives Psyche tasks, and one of them is to separate the poppy seeds from a pile of dirt. Yeah. yeah. It's like, exactly. this is impossible. I can't do this. But she falls asleep. And when she wakes up, the piles are sorted. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. actually, I want to talk about spiritual companioning. So we will get there. But that leads me into dreams because to me, that story says, in that state of rest. And one could say, even in the dream world, some of that gets sorted mm-hmm. behind our eyes, behind, you know, in the unconscious, in our soul's work, 
you know, when the, when the outer shell and the, and the mind get to rest, that unconscious life springs into action. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And it's like the, the dream world and that unconscious impulse is, is like that there's, it's like calling us forward. It's, Mm. and again, that's been my experience with dreams um, and dream work and how I came to dream work was also not an easy journey. Um, You know, it, um, I I was plagued with horrific nightmares my Mm. whole life. And um, I mean, so much so that I, there were many years so that I never felt rested. I'd wake up and I would still be wrestling with the intensity of these dreams. And, um, you know, to make a long story short, I, when I started my doctoral um, program, uh, there was a teacher by the name of Jeremy Taylor, who I didn't know at the time. And he ended up becoming my primary mentor for over 25 years and continues to mentor me from the other world as he um, died in 2018. But, you know, when I took that first course, just just because dreams had been an important part of my life, not only the nightmares, but somehow my dreams felt like they had guided me. I mean, since I was a young child, and again, I wouldn't have been able to name that, but I just somehow knew that there was a guiding force that came through my dreams. There was also a terrifying force that, um, um, you know, kind of plagued me through my dreams. But when I took the first course with him, I, um, my whole, the, my whole world opened up where I, in that first course, it, it was completely life-changing. I somehow was able just through the, whatever he was transmitting and the energy of the room and the dream world and all of that, I had the experience of kind of opening the veils in a way of mm-hmm. really experiencing the continuum between waking and dreaming life. And it was, it was just really very life altering for me. And so clearly I, or I just wanted more. I was longing for more. I knew that the dreams were calling me for more as well. And so I went to another course, uh, you know, the next, next time it was offered, I went to Jeremy's class again, and it was experiential. And to make a long story short, that particular class, um, I had a, one of the most horrific nightmares mm-hmm. before the night before that class. And I am very quiet in groups. I don't tend to speak up. I listen really deeply and I take things in, but <clears throat> as he was introducing how to work with dreams in a group, he calls it his dream work toolkit. I raised my little hand and I asked a question about nightmares because I, I felt like I needed to know something. Yeah. And he went on to say that when someone presents with a nightmare, um, you know, he, he spoke about nightmares as that, that it's like our, our unconscious, our unconscious, the unconscious, even, you know, like psyche coming, like knocking on our door saying, this is of importance. And it comes Mm -hmm. in scary form so that it's sure to be remembered. There's no way we can forget it when we wake up. And he always, he drilled inside of me and I've come to really trust it myself over the years that I've worked with my own dreams. And now, you know, with so many people over the years that because a dream is remembered is because we have the creative 
energies, the supports, the, um, I don't know, the, the capacity, I guess, to work with whatever it is that the dream is calling our attention to. Mm. So it's not to like dream, you know, those nightmares don't come to knock us down and say, you're just screwed, you know, <laughs> this is yeah. doomed or whatever. It's really because it's, you know, like this is, it's like calling you forward on this spiraling, as we were talking about this evolving soulful living and grieving um, spiral or, um, you know, cycle. And so in that class, he said that um, a dream, a nightmare always takes precedence for sharing. And not only does it have importance for the dreamer, but also can have importance for the group. Um, and so he asked if I'd be willing to share and I did. And so to make a long story short, he, what came forward in the work of that dream was profound. It, it brought forward and, and it went on for about 45 minutes where people were sharing really meaningful reflections on the dream, like deep and meaningful. And they were all stones that I had already turned over. They were all things that I, as you know, that, that me who is, you know, mining for gold, (laughs) mining for gold. I had already mined those, you know, those mines. And I watched, I was observing him as he was observing me, Jeremy, this is Jeremy meaning. And um, because I was just hungry, I was, I knew I needed more. I needed something. And I didn't even know that that's what I needed because I didn't even know what I was signing up for. But he went on to meet me where I needed to be met and where that um, dream was calling my attention. And it brought forward something for me that was not something I had thought of before. It was something very deep repressed. It was, you know, there was a traumatic component to it. And yet, and I, and it, it came with this incredible download of mm. aha, of truth, somatic, a hundred percent knowing and truth and memory and all of this, where I immediately fell on the floor and was sobbing and mm. was, just, and it kind of created an uproar in the school mm. and in the group and whatever. But for me, what happened when I was on the floor there sobbing, the, pr- the predominant feeling was relief. Yeah. Thank God, I, you know, I understand what these dreams were trying to get my attention mm-hmm. for. And so it all got worked through. And from then on, Jeremy became my mentor. And it, and for me, and I just want to name because there's so much controversy around dreams and repressed memory and all this stuff that I want to name that for me, and, and this took this took and has taken many years. This was in 1997 that this happened, I believe, or 98. And um, so there were many years of, you know, having to work through a lot. Um, but it, for me, it became not about the story and the details of what happened. For me, it became about my own healing. Mm-hmm. I caught a thread of that gold that day. And for the life of me, I wasn't going to let go of it. I was let go of it. I was going to follow it. And I have, and I've continued to follow it. And so what I, what I say is some, a client asked me just the other day, do you believe in repressed memories? I didn't share my story at all, but do you believe in repressed memories and, um, you know, coming through dreams and cause she's having these nightmares. And I said, you know, 
really our dreams are calling for us to to discover the wholeness of ourselves and to to uncover that gold and to kind of unpack the the stones or the you know the the armor of protection that whatever is holding us back um, that we can peel back those layers in through vulnerability and courage and you know all the things that go with it but to reveal that which is living underneath mm. and the affirmation for me over all these years is that my life has grown exponentially and that, um, you know, my gift has, was revealed in that, that moment. And the fact that I, you know, followed this path of, you know, as part of my path doing dream work, it's, it's actually a big part of all of the, you know, um, ways that I work with people. Um, so again, that's a long story of how, DreamWork speaks to me and how it has guided me and how it continues to unfold as I work with other people's dreams and continue to work with my own dreams. So oh, that's that's so illuminating. Um you know, so what what I was hearing was that and, and, and I've done a little bit of dream work, but it's it, this is new to me that that the nightmare is is calling, you know, is is so intense because it is calling for your attention and it's imperative that it have your attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that the, just this notion of, of repressed memories, at least in the sense of the dream work, it almost doesn't matter whether they're repressed memories or not. It's, it is, that's the content that's coming forward to be, to get your attention. Exactly. And that has been the impetus, the alchemical, you know, nectar of my own healing of my own growth and evolution. And I've, you know, it could be other lifetimes that I'm processing this, it could be a collective nature of something that I'm processing. I really decided early on that I was not going to get caught up in the details of the story, which still largely elude me. Mm-hmm. And it, it has become something that doesn't matter to me, but it's mm-hmm. more about exactly what you're saying is, is really um, drinking the uh, elixir and the gold and, you know, whatever that, that is, that continues to be um, freed and expressed through me and beyond me and in the path of return in ways that I'm able to give back. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. That, that brings me to my next point, which is, um, in your bio, you talk about, um, and this is talking about grief, but I'm, I'm sure you, you just said dreams, and I'm sure they both apply, about how we process and integrate grief and loss through the portal of resilience for the sake of both personal and collective evolution. Mm-hmm. Say more about that. Yeah. How, can, how, how does my grief or my dreams impact the collective mm-hmm. well again i you know it's kind of going on what i'm saying and then about my own personal experience by by the way that i have allowed myself to 
wrestle with my own grief and the own my own experiences of all the deep you know kind of dark descents that my life has taken me on and really wrestle with it and really either mine for the gold or discover gold that I would have never you know been able to f- discover had I not been through the experience I had been through um and then also companioning so many other people you know, through, through their own grief and, you know, traumatic life experiences that, well, I mean, first and foremost, my personal journey has coming back to those four paths is what has led me to this return path of this is how I give back. This is how knowing that through my grief, I discovered that ground and I trust and I continue to relate with that ground. And And it becomes not just your resource, but your resource that you use with others. Yes, exactly. So that's the spiraling. It's my resource, but then it's what I also, as I integrate and metabolize all of these things and discover new, new levels and layers and I mean, not that it's hierarchical at all, but just layers of meaning over, you know, how it, how it works in our lives as we grow and age um, and just to have life experience that then it can, we can give back. And that to me is how, how your grief, my grief, you know, when we authentically allow it to cook us in a way, you know, um, that that it, that it does, that we show up when, when it's, when it's, when it, when it's in the, in the way of cooking us um, and and leading us towards more awakening, more meaning, more consciousness. Um, You know, we don't, it's not like, you know, it's not, it's not like an adage or something that, oh, you're going through this so you can learn something or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't, I hate some of those, you know, um, those phrases or whatever, because when you're in the middle of it, first of all, it's the last thing you want to hear. And second of all, who's to really say, you know, but again and again and again, my life has shown me that the people I work with, you know, um, and some people have a really hard time learning and growing and, you know, out of their wounds and, and, and there's, it's just, everybody has, we all have our own, life journey and experience, but that's what I'm saying is that when we do, when those, our grief and our loss and all of that does, you know, awaken meaning and um, just awaken more consciousness within us, it it's in service, not only to ourselves, it changes the collective, it changes, I mean, this is, you know, maybe a little out there, but it changes the vibration. It changes how we relate with each oh, other. We're, we're out there. You can- we're out there. Okay. <laughs> good. Show is out there. Yeah, good. So it changes the vibration. It changes how we relate with each other. It changes how, how we are in our everyday mm-hmm. lives and in our work and, and maybe how we're inspired to give back in new ways. And that is how it changes the collective, all those different ways. And I really believe that our spiritual growth and evolution, not only believe, I just really, at least um, it's, I don't know, I've just found it through my own personal experience that our spiritual growth and evolution is not just for ourselves. It's not just to ascend or transcend or anything. It's really to maybe experience all those things, but then to use that meaning in this path of return to give back. 
to, to, to elevate the collective, to elevate all of us. Yeah. That's beautiful. I see that on so many layers because I, I had, had, you know, I had this conceptualization that my experiences change me and inform my growth and thus I have that experience to give back and, and assist others. But then this energetic piece of which actually came to me recently in a different way of particularly during the pandemic, when we're so isolated, you know, what Mm -hmm. came to me was, yeah, you may be doing something for you in this moment, experiencing something, but every little thing you do affects the collective, whether you notice it or not, like with the, this collective vibration is collective because it's, it's all of our pieces together. And that made a huge impact on me, just like knowing, even if I don't see it, even if I'm not actually actively putting it out there in the world or supporting people, everything I do has impact. Mm-hmm. And all that gold I mine has impact. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of people love to work with dreams and interpret them. What's one thing you can give someone to help them work with their dreams? Mm. For instance, there's so many schools of thought and about how you interpret or if you even interpret or if you accept it on its own, the images on their own, such as Hillman says. Mm. What what can you offer someone to to help them work with their own dreams? They've got one that's particularly up for them or comes up and they're like, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I, I guess that the main, the main thing that I would share and the main, um, the main most valuable way that I have learned to work with my own dreams, because we're always most selectively blind to our own, you know, dreams and understanding. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel like the most poignant and useful and um I don't know meaningful tool that I that I guess I would say to share is to really and this is one of the first questions that I always ask people when they share a dream is I mean on a basic level what is the feeling in the dream Mm. to really because there's a story there's a there's all these different images sometimes they're just crazy and out there they're sometimes they're scary sometimes they they seem like very literal, you know, you know, there's so many, obviously, manifestations of how dreams show up. Um, But the but that question of what is the feeling in the dream, and maybe the feeling like follow the feeling thread through the dreams, how does the feeling change? You know, um, what do you notice about what you feel when you wake up? And um, because that's often is, well, first of all, we don't, you know, we're not conditioned really to go to that feeling sense. Mm-hmm. Really, um, um, anyway, very regularly mm-hmm. anyway, but, you know, because dreams are so visual and crazy and whatever it's, it's often we sort of forget to, um, to really get curious about what the feeling is and, and what goes along with the feeling is, you know, really get curious about how that feeling, how you notice that feeling in your body. You know, what do you notice? What, um, and, and, and with that, 
you know, when you notice the sensations or the qualities or um, of what's happening in your body, then the question is, what might this dream be asking Mm. of you? Or how might you, um, just with the awareness of the feelings in your dream, um, how might you acknowledge, support, you know, maybe create some kind of ritual or something around, around what, what you discover through, through what you're feeling in the dream. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of my biggest recommendations, my strongest recommendations or invitations, you know, for people when they want to work their own dreams. Like I said, it's, it's the place where I go when I wake up with a dream and I'm like, what in the heck, you know, was that? And so there's so many different ways to work with dreams and so many different places to go with those feelings. But that is at least one place that of curiosity that that can help uncover layers um, that may not be initially. Yeah, I I really appreciate that because it, the feeling. I think generally there is a feeling associated with the dream and it can be really helpful to figure out. Where is that feeling cropping up in my life? And yeah, what yeah, what might be the message? That's fine. And also it's interesting because once we wake up, there's often all sorts of layers of story that we put onto the dream mm. and imagine versions of what I might be feeling in the dream based on this scenario. But it's a really interesting question to say, is that what you were actually feeling in the dream? really get get curious about the feeling in the dream when the scenario was happening and sometimes it's you know the same but sometimes it's actually quite different and can reveal some interesting layers that you hadn't noticed before and would you say like the body can you know feeling into your body can help you understand what that emotion identify what the emotion was yeah, you can identify emotion, you can identify need, you can identify longing, you can you know yeah, it can just help you um yeah, just get curious about more layers of meaning that come forward through through that feeling. Yeah. You identify different things. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because it kind of gets it out of your head trying to analyze it. It's just yeah. getting into more of the experience of it. Yeah. yeah. So you you work a, a lot with people with dreams, you work with grief, and and you are a spiritual companion. So can you tell people what that is? What is a spiritual <laughs> companion? to me a spiritual companion is um it's it's really just because i i it's really important to me that i'm you know people say to me oh you interpret dreams i'm like no no i don't interpret dreams because only the dreamer can say for his or herself or know for him or herself or you know um all the gender spectrum, however you say that, that, you know, what that dream actually means for themselves. So in all of my work, I don't make assumptions that I know anything. I just show up in, um, in being with, you know, really standing next to someone, I guess, or, you know, holding space with someone companioning, people through whatever it is that they are experiencing, whatever their, um, 
wondering about, getting curious about, you know, what are the deeper layers that, you know, and I guess the companioning part also does include, I'm, I am kind of um, asking questions about, you know, looking for threads of connection, but it's through, I'm listening to them. I'm really listening. And of course, I'm filtering through my own projected or imagined versions of their experience. And I'm very aware of that. And I also stay very aware of just my own <clears throat> places I go with, you know, just somatically and energetically and all of that with, you know, people's experience. But in that way, that that just makes me think I'm also companioning myself. Mm. I'm just staying close. I'm staying aware. I'm listening deeply. I'm staying close with myself and another so that we can listen for those jewels of, of, um, of connection, of, of meaning, you know, those threads of connection that help weave, weave a tapestry, really weave, weave meaning into, into life experience or just simply companioning a feeling. And it's as simple as that, just being with. It's really just about being with. It's not always about looking for meaning. It's not always about trying to uncover something. The companioning is really discerning what does the is the person asking for, um, what are they longing for? And that's just mm-hmm. out of you know questioning and curiosity. And then how can I be in service to that? And that's how I companion. And then sometimes it's just sitting with someone who's, bawling on my lap or like I did in after the dream work, you know, crying on the, you know, sobbing on the floor or beating the walls or, you know, whatever it is, yeah. I can just be with that and not need to change anything. So to me, that's the role of a spiritual companion. And that's how I approach it. That's really beautiful. That's beautiful. And I, I can feel, and, and actually and know firsthand your ability to companion and hold and the depth of, and, really appreciate the, you know, the depth of your experience, life experience from the grief to the, the challenges. And then the dreams just gives you this, this real breadth of, um, well, as you said, well-resourced guide, like you are well-resourced to hold space. And I have experienced that firsthand. So I'm very grateful for your, the way you do hold space. And I can attest that you, it is an extraordinary thing to have a, a companion, someone to be with or to walk with or sit with or cry with or just witness. It's an extraordinary experience. Um, it's unlike a spiritual teacher and unlike a therapist or really unlike any other sort of professional that um, I have experienced. So, mm. so it is a, a, a beautiful way of being and way of serving. So thank you for the way you do that. Thank you, Arlia. That means so much. It really does. Well, as some of the our listeners may know, I've had my own grief process mm-hmm. and my own dreams too, but but really primarily my own grief process over the last five years. And it's been, it's been quite the journey. And I beginning to understand, you know, the way it it returns as a resource in our lives and you know in our we're, we're never we're never the same yeah it changes you forever i think that's one of the things i've i've begun to tell people who are in the midst of grief like you won't go back to the way you were before and 
that's not a bad thing. It just is, it will change you and you'll be a different person. And I always like to use the image of, you know, when we're in the middle of some kind of life shattering that our heart feels shattered and we're standing amidst the rubble and, you know, and, and over time, and it's really over time. And I think slowing down time is really important. Mm. Um, but we discover the the pieces that are that are that still have meaning that we begin to pick up, or we discover pieces that are sparkling that we could we couldn't have seen before if the shattering hadn't have happened. And we just slowly begin to pick up the pieces and gather them in a basket to you know recreate the mosaic of our lives. So oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful because that that helps that just honors the shattering. Mm-hmm. Yes. without telling you well it's there's there's something good in this right it's all yeah. for the best it's none of that it's like here we are we're on the ground we're on the ground and it's in pieces and yet we're still here and there's something here that's that has meaning and value and beauty and let's wait and discover mm. what those pieces are you know it's such a long process yeah, it it's is. really interesting. Mm-hmm. And some of those pieces we'll never understand for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how the beauty and the sacred can also pop through outside of time. You know, I also just want to weave that message in that, you know, it's not only a, just a long journey of drudgery, you mm-hmm. know, those moments of beauty and and meaning and whatever they just they just tend to just pop pop up outside of time and in the midst of it and it's beautiful i i I do remember noticing that and just being in awe of being able to hold the beauty and the pain all at the same time and to have both those experiences in my entire being at the same time and it's it's an extraordinary experience. It's, mm-hmm. it's maybe one of the pieces that gets you through the difficulty. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the resource and the release. They kind of co-occur in some ways, you know, as we go back to those four paths and mm-hmm. keeps us. I, don't know, I mean, thank God this life is not linear. Yeah. How boring would that be? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, Robin, this has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you for joining me. It has been wonderful, Arlia. Thank you so much. Um, I I can't imagine that after this conversation, there's somebody who's more interested in your work or connecting with you and learning more about the four paths or maybe want some, some companioning with their grief or even some dream work. Um, Mm -hmm. How could people find you and and contact you if they'd like to? Um, You can find me through my website, which is Robin at RobinHubbard.com. And it's Robin with a Y, R-O-B-Y-N. So Robin at RobinHubbard.com. And as I recall, you're not really on social media, are you? I am a little bit, but I have to say I am not very good with social media, marketing, all those kinds of things. I So... I mean, you can find me there, but, you know, I'm not active. (laughs) 
you know, there's something to be said for, for not being connect, de- deeply connected in that world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My mind just, I don't know. It doesn't operate in that way. And I've just come to be at peace with that. Well, that's beautiful. It's just honoring where you are. And that's, that's perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really grateful for your presence and for the gifts you bring to the world. Thank you so much. Well, that will do it for us today on the Women's Sanctuary. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, If you like these podcasts, please like and share and leave a review. And not for me, but for to further the work and the voice of the women you hear who, who bring themselves, bring their heart, bring their work to this podcast. And um, that's what we're all about is sharing those voices in the world so that we all heal and we all connect with each other. Thank you so much for being here with us. We'll see you here again next time on the Women's Sanctuary. All right, we're clear. Okay, we did it. We did it. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.